We're going to uh, continue our reading through Paul's letter to the Philippians, uh, picking it up at verse 12 of chapter 2 this morning. It's a great passage. Uh, It's the one where Paul encourages the Philippians to shine like stars. Verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour for nothing. Sorry, I lost my spot. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honour men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Amen. Well, let's pray as we come to consider God's word. Father in heaven, we want to thank you uh, once more for the uh, clear revelation of your will through the scriptures. We thank you, Father God, that your word is powerful and that uh, it is living and it's active and it's uh, able to uh, enlighten the darkness of our minds and our hearts. Father, we pray that uh, you would be filling us with light and uh, changing our hearts as we uh, sit under your word this morning and we pray in Jesus most precious name Amen I'm not a great fan of the term un-Australian it's a term which our politicians tend to use uh, as a form of behavioural control over us as a population and you know how it goes don't you when an Aussie or a group of Aussies behaves very badly especially in public 
their behaviour is condemned as being un-Australian, as if it's only people who are not Australians who behave in those ways. But of course, uh, I suspect what they mean is that they're trying to build a society, an Australian society, where uh, <coughs> certain behaviour is outed, it's not tolerated, and so it's considered to be un-Australian. It's very effective because as an Australian, I don't want to be un-Australian, <laughs> do you? Uh, as an Australian, well, being an Australian in one sense, well, that's kind of who I am. That represents me. And to behave in a manner which is un-Australian, well, that's not being worthy of who I'm supposed to be, apparently, according to the politicians. So what about behaviour which is not un-Australian, but behaviour which is unchristian? In uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, and you might want to have Philippians open as we uh, <coughs> look at it this morning, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, the Apostle Paul instructed his readers that no matter what happens, no matter what the world might do to them, no matter what circumstances they might find themselves in, that no matter what happens, that they should conduct themselves in a manner which is worthy of the gospel of Christ Jesus. Now think about that. The way that they should conduct themselves should reflect who Christ is and what he's done for them. And uh, Paul has uh, said a few things about uh, what that would involve. Um, for example, in uh, chapter 2, verse 3, he said that we should do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit, but in, in humility that we ought to consider others better than ourselves. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago as to what that means to, uh, in humility to consider others better than yourself. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that you falsely say that you're terrible at something that you're not terrible at, but it's that sense, well, C.S. Lewis put it uh, in an interesting way, as he normally does. C.S. Lewis says that true humility is not thinking less of ourselves. Uh, true humility is thinking of ourselves less. Makes sense, doesn't it? Now, of course, some of us might have an inflated view of ourselves, which needs to be deflated. But the idea is that rather than being self-centred, that we ought to be other person-centred. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 4, Paul goes on to say that we ought not to only look to our own interests, but also that we ought to be people who are looking towards the interests of other people, just like Jesus, who humbled himself, who, though he was God, he became man, he stepped into our fallen world, and he did so as a servant, and he offered up his life on the cross for us. And suddenly, whether your behaviour is Australian or un-Australian doesn't seem to matter, really, does it? Because it pales into insignificance compared to the more profound uh, issue here of living a life which is worthy of the gospel of Christ Jesus. Far more profound, far more important. Now, it was Paul who first preached the gospel at Philippi and 
as people responded to the gospel in faith, there were some aspects of their lives that would have changed almost straight away. That's what happens when you, you're converted. And as we come to today's passage in chapter 2, verse 12, Paul is actually quite pleased with how things are going for them. He's pleased uh, in the way that they are continuing to live as Christians. They didn't just start the Christian life, but they're actually continuing the Christian life. Uh, have a look at uh, verse 12. <clears throat> in verse 12, Paul says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Now, I think it must have been hard for Paul to leave churches that he had planted. That was the nature of his ministry, wasn't it? That Paul was an itinerant evangelist church planter. He would uh, go into a town, he would preach the gospel, uh, he would see uh, people converted, he would see a small church established, he would stay with them for a while, he would teach and he would preach and, he would, and then he'd, he'd leave and he'd go and do the same thing somewhere else. Imagine how hard it is leaving. When, you, when he's been doing that kind of ministry. But here, what we see is that Paul rejoices that after he left the Philippians, they've not slipped backwards, have they? They've actually kept on obeying God. In fact, he points out that they've actually stepped up two or three notches in terms of their obedience to God. That, uh, that, that, that not only did they obey God when he was there, but how much more they're obeying God after he's left. That's pretty good, isn't it? And what it tells us is that their relationship with God actually doesn't depend on Paul being on site. It doesn't depend on Paul, it depends on God. Although Paul never misses an opportunity to encourage them and that's what he does here uh, because he says to them, you're doing well, so continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now you might be thinking to yourself when you read that, you think, hang on a moment. I mean, we don't, we don't have to work for our salvation. <laughs> uh, we don't work for our salvation. Jesus has already worked for our salvation. Uh, we have our salvation because of the work that Jesus has done. And it's heresy to say that we should work for our salvation. But Paul doesn't say that, does he? He doesn't say to work for your salvation. What does he say? He says to work out your salvation. And that's a very different thing. Think about it this way. <clears throat> um, is Cassie here at the moment or is she? Uh, she's next door, sorting out morning tea. Well, I've got the great privilege of being married to Cassie. Now, the difference between my relationship with Cassie and my relationship with God is Cassie actually made me work for that relationship in the first place. However, <clears throat> the relationship is now settled. It's been sorted out for over 25 years or so. And I've got the ring on my finger to prove it. The relationship 
is settled. But every single day, I have to work out that relationship. Every single day as I wake up, as I start the day, I'm aware that in my thoughts and in my words and in my actions, that I have to make very conscious, deliberate efforts not to damage that relationship, but rather to, to feed that relationship, to nurture that relationship, to grow in that relationship, to work out that relationship, which is already settled. And it's the same with our relationship with God. The relationship with God is firmly in place because of the work that Jesus has done on the cross, but every single day we need to make a conscious, a conscious deliberate effort to flee from sin, to put to death the old nature, to humble ourselves, to be clothed with Christ, to become more like Christ. It's intentional, it's deliberate, it's every day. Because notice this, notice that Paul says to continue to do this, which means, of course, that it doesn't happen overnight. Um, <clears throat> when you're converted, some things do happen overnight, but that's just the beginning of a lifelong process, a continuous process of working out your salvation, of changing, of repenting, of becoming more like Jesus. And we do so, in that verse, we do so with a certain attitude, don't we? It's an attitude that Paul says it's with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. Now, again, you think to yourself, well, hang on a moment, what's he talking about there? Fear and trembling? I mean, we don't have to fear and fear God, you know, we're, our salvation is sorted out. Well, friends, when the Bible uses this term fear and trembling, it's not the kind of terror that an unbeliever should have at the thought of standing at the judgment seat of God. It's not that kind of fear and trembling that's in view here. It's more about the sheer awe and the reverence that we ought to have towards Almighty God. Now, when I was in year 12 at school, I uh, was invited along with a bunch of other representatives from various high schools to, uh, to go to Government House and to meet up uh, with the Governor, uh, who was at the time Sir Roden Cutler, VC. You, anyone remember Sir Roden Cutler? Good man, good man, and uh, his uh, lovely wife, Lady Cutler. Now, I polished my shoes that day. <laughs> I made sure my tie was tied properly and my shirt was tucked in. I, I, even, I had to learn how to bow properly because the aide-de-comp was going to call my name. I was going to walk forward to them and bow to... Sir Roden and Lady Cutler, I thought about what I would say because I was quivering <laughs> and I didn't want to put my foot in it. I didn't want to say something that was stupid. Now, um, they were incredibly gracious and kind and, and uh, hospitable as we ate cucumber sandwiches with them on the lawns of Government House. 
But we were not equals. We were not equals. And it's that kind of fear and trembling, that rightful respect that Paul has in mind here. But we don't take our relationship with God in a blasé manner. We recognise who he is and who we are. It's an honour and a respect that we have towards God who has been gracious towards us, who has graciously accepted us at the incredible cost of his own son. And how do we show that? Well, we show that by continuing to work out our salvation with fear and trembling by the godliness of our lives. I didn't polish my shoes this morning, by the way. Um, it's not about what clo- you know, honouring God is not about what clothes you wear to church. Uh, it's about how you live your life in a way which is repentant and uh, obedient towards him. But notice that we don't have to do this in our own strength. Uh, in verse 13, Paul says that as we work out our salvation, that it is actually God who is at work in us. You see, because of our sinfulness, we actually don't have the capacity to, uh, to honour God without God. Think about it this way. Uh, can a selfish person make themselves unselfish? Well, you'd have to say by definition, no. <laughs> Two things are self-contradictory, aren't they? And that is why we need God by his spirit because when God by his spirit is at work in our hearts, then guess what? We are changed so that we can become humble, so that we can become other person-centred, so that we can live in a manner which is now worthy of the gospel of Christ Jesus. Now, this has got implications for our prayer life. Because if it is God who is at work in us to bring about uh, so that we would uh, will his good plan and purpose, then therefore we should be asking him to do that. We should be praying to God. And so in our prayer times, we ought to be asking God to change those areas in our lives where we know that we are simply not living in a manner which is worthy of the gospel. Now, what are the areas in your life that are not worthy of the gospel? Uh, It seems that uh, one issue in the Philippian church was the issue of complaining and arguing. That wouldn't happen in the church, would it? Complaining and arguing? Well, later on in chapter 4, Paul mentions two particular ladies in the church and he names them Euodia and Syntyche. Uh, who were in conflict with each other. How about that, eh? How about you, you're having an argument with someone in church and then you find your names written in scriptures for all the next, till the Lord Jesus returns. You know? And every Christian in the world knows about your argument that you had. Euodia and Suntiki, or Suntachi as some have called her. We'll talk about them a bit later on. But it might be this issue that's prompted Paul to say what he says in verses 14 through to 17. Have a look at verse 14. He says, 
Do everything without complaining or arguing. Now, complaining and arguing, that's actually not un-Australian, is it? <laughs> that's very Australian. In fact, we've got a word for it. We Aussies call that whinging, don't we? Um, now, Christians can have godly arguments. Don't misunderstand this. It's, it is sometimes right and appropriate for us to disagree with one another and to, to challenge one another. But when we do so, we ought to be do, doing so in a loving and a godly way, as much as it's up to us. And we can do so in a way that actually uh, gives consideration to the best interest of the person who we're having the argument with, who we're disagreeing with. That's different to the Christian who seems to have just very little joy in the Lord, always criticising, always wanting to get their way, always judging and complaining about others. Uh, instead of spreading joy to other people, uh, such people suck joy out of relationships. They suck joy from others. And sometimes it's whilst doing the work of the Lord whilst doing ministry. Friends, we need to realise that God is less honoured by the ministry activity that we do than he is honoured by the way in which we go about doing it and the way that we treat other people in the process. God is honoured when we treat others in the same way that Christ has treated us when he sacrificially gave his life for us. So Paul says in verse 14, he says, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I've not run or laboured for nothing. See, how strange is it for us to say, well, we're people who hold out the word of life. We go to our world, to the non-Christians, Paul describes a wicked and depraved generation, and we say, well, hey, we've got the answers. We've got the truth. We've got the way, the truth, and the life. It's Jesus. We're holding out to you. Uh, the word of life and at the same time we're bickering, we're complaining, we're arguing, we're fighting with each other. <laughs> Doesn't make sense, does it? Paul says, don't be like that. It's actually not consistent with the gospel. Now in verses uh, 17 to 19 we see the opposite to that because uh, even as Paul is in prison uh, like, and he views himself as being like a sacrificial offering, he actually rejoices. And he says to the Philippians that they should be glad and they should be rejoicing with him. Um, when we are hard to please and when we're always arguing and complaining, we, we suck joy from other people. Um, Paul was in prison for the sake of the gospel. And I guess that if anyone had the right to have a bit of a whinge, uh, he might have that right. But instead of sucking joy, what does he do? He spreads joy. 
in prison, in a difficult circumstance, Paul wants to spread the joy. Now, by the way, what is the best thing which we can do to stay joyful? What's the very best thing which we can do to remain joyful? How about remembering the gospel? How about focusing on Jesus and what he has done? Jesus, we were sinners. We were destined to punishment and to hell. And Jesus has taken our debt upon himself. He's paid the penalty. Uh, We have now been forgiven. Uh, The power of sin and Satan has been dealt with over us. And we now have an eternity live with God in heaven. I mean, is that something to be rejoicing about? That ought to be filling our hearts with joy. And when we focus on the gospel, when we remember that a whole lot of other stuff just seems to not matter all that much. And it's seen in its right perspective. Now, it's great to have some real life examples of people who lives whose lives are worthy of the gospel. And uh, remember that there were some examples that Paul was aware of in Philippi of people who were doing ministry but who perhaps were not worthy of the gospel. Um, Paul was aware that there were people who were doing Christian ministry in order just to build their own little kingdoms. But in verses 19 through to 30, He shares with us about two men who are the exact opposite to that. And both of these men were caring for Paul whilst he was in prison in Rome. First of all, Timothy. Now let's read a bit about Timothy. Um, Let's pick it up at verse 19. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I may be cheered when I receive news about you. So Timothy would come back with news. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself. He has served with me in the work of the gospel and I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me and I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Remember Paul was awaiting his trial. Now, looking at that, how is Timothy like the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, unlike others who are only interested in themselves, unlike others who are interested in only just building a following of them around themselves, that they can be the leader and so on, Timothy says Paul, well, he actually takes a genuine interest in the welfare of the Philippian Christians. He's not in it for himself. He's not making anything out of this. It's not about his self-putation. And he's proven himself by doing the hard yards. He's proven himself by working with the Apostle Paul in the work of the Gospel. Now, when you were working with Paul in the work of the Gospel, there wasn't much glamour in that. Paul was not like one of these super apostles. Paul was the guy who got beaten and whipped and stoned and shipwrecked and thrown in prison not much glamour in that but Timothy was a partner in that work what about Epaphroditus he's the second guy that Paul talks about in verses 25 to great name Epaphroditus isn't it 
Anyone feel like they might want to name the next child Epaphroditus? It could be starting a trend. It's a great name. In verses 25 to 30, we learn that the Philippians had actually sent Epaphroditus from Philippi, and remember that's up in northern Greece, over to Rome where he's in prison. They had sent Epaphroditus in order uh, to represent them in caring for Paul's needs whilst he was in prison. And in the process, Epaphroditus became ill, so ill that he almost died. And now Paul is sending him back to them. Let's pick it up at verse 29. Paul says, Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honour men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help that you could not give me. He almost died. It was a risky journey. He was doing stuff that was difficult to do and he almost died for the sake of the gospel. You know, uh, remember in chapter 1, verse 15, Paul said that there were some people who were preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry. And such people, when Paul was in prison, they thought, beautiful, this is our opportunity to take advantage of that situation and to stir up trouble for Paul. Whereas Timothy and Epaphroditus, they actually went to care for Paul in prison. And in so doing, they risked their, various, their, they risked their very lives. Now, I've had cause just recently to think about the issue of what is true spirituality. What are the marks of the truly spiritual Christian? And I guess the reason I've been thinking about this is because there's stuff out there in the Christian community which is talking about spirituality which seems to be over and above uh, the gospel. And it's sometimes easy for us to be persuaded that the truly spiritual Christian is the person who's got loads and loads of ambition and, and energy in doing Christian things. And it's good to have energy in doing Christian things, but is that what makes the person truly spiritual? Uh, or the person who claims to, um, to be specially anointed, uh, the person who speaks <clears throat> of their great and impressive stories of, of, uh, of their spiritual successes and how God uh, uses them in particular to do absolutely remarkable things. And I've seen a bit of that lately, uh, saying that this person is no ordinary Christian. They are a special Christian. They've got special and so on. This passage gives us clearer guidance on what it means to be truly spiritual. The truly spiritual Christian is the one who prayerfully, who continually aims to work out their salvation with a right honour and respect, with fear and trembling towards God. Now, they may not be very impressive outwardly, they might not be very successful. They might be sitting in a prison cell, as the Apostle Paul did. And so far from, but they are people who trust 
in what Christ has done for them. And far from being self-centred, they've actually become other person-centred. They look to the interests of others above their own. They serve joyfully, without complaining, without arguing, without bickering. And I guess the question, therefore, is, well, what about us? What, what about you? Because, brothers and sisters, there are areas in all of our lives that, where we need to actually be working out our salvation, working out what it means to be a person who is like Christ in that area of life. What are the areas in your life where you know that you do not honour God? Well, why not pray about those things? Why not bring those areas specifically to God in prayer, asking God to help you to continue to work out your salvation in those areas and doing so remembering that he is the one who gives us the strength to be able to do so. Now one last point from the passage. As Paul was in prison, I reckon that he would have greatly appreciated the fellowship of uh, having guys like Timothy and Epaphroditus around, don't you? Be pretty lonely being in prison. You could feel pretty down about that. And uh, you'd thrive on having the company of these godly brothers in the Lord. But did Paul want them to stay? Well, in one sense, yes, of course, but no, he didn't actually. No, he didn't. No, what he wanted, he wanted to send both of these men back to Philippi to encourage the Christians in the church there. Now, whose interest was he putting first? Theirs. Sounds a bit like Jesus, doesn't it? Who made himself nothing and gave up his life for you and me. So we need to have that same attitude, that same mindset that Christ had to be a servant for the sake of others. That's true spirituality. <clears throat> I don't know if it's un-Australian or not, but it's not un-Christian. It's how God wants us to live. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for our Lord and Saviour Jesus, for his uh, servanthood and for his serving that led to the sacrifice on the cross. We thank you for the example of men like Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus. We thank you for the Philippians that uh, they had continued their obedience and stepped it up a mark or two. Father, we pray for ourselves. You would enable us to continue to work out our salvation. Father, reveal to us those areas in our life, those blind spots that we've just not been repented of in some areas where we've known we've needed to repent but we haven't reveal those areas to us lord god and grant us the strength by your spirit to change and to become more the people that you would have us be that uh, we would be people who live lives that are worthy of the gospel of christ jesus and as we hold out the word of life to our community that that's actually backed by what they see of our behavior and we pray these things uh, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.